It is time for us to begin our midday as we blow into the studio on a windy Tuesday. It has certainly, the one good thing is that uh, the wind was blowing so hard from the south, now it's all blown to the north. So every, all the furniture that you may have lost over the weekend might be coming back into your yard uh, this week for sure. Wow, what a crazy one. Scott in here with you along with Jason Jorgensen. Bob Brogan is here and Susan Littlefield is here. And uh, we'll start it off with Susan. Is the wind blowing in surprise a little bit? It is starting and it's got that eerie kind of color to the sky. So we know it's all headed our way. It certainly is. There's just a ton of moisture in uh, northeast Colorado and Wyoming and stuff like that. And it all seems to be headed our direction. So I guess we'll see. I'm kind of jealous of their snow, though. Okay, we got some <laughs> puzzled looks, puzzled looks in the studio right now about that. That's for sure. Holy cow. Cut her off. Yeah, that might, whoa, that's rough. Okay, all right. Well, we'll try to put her back back on the rails here. What do you got for us? All right. Well, this is what's coming up. No snow to talk about. Usually warm temperatures because it's fair time. And at 1219, Bryce is going to co- uh, catch up with our extension educator, Jill Godekin. She's the Platte County's 4-H Youth Development Extension Educator about how their fair is going to take place. So some interesting times for kids as they get ready to show their livestock. Then we continue our series with Cruising with Biofuels. Today, Brian Jennings joins us. He is the CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. And he talks about some good things coming out of the state of Nebraska. And then at 117, Alex wraps everything up as meat processors have until July 1 to apply for participation in the 2020 Hunters Helping the Hungry program. Some more details coming up on the midday from the farm team. All right. Thank you so much, Susan. I appreciate it. Thank you. We turn it over to Jason Jorgensen now, and every day we seem to see some uh, more groups kind of opening up and ha- kind of having a plan. In a, a little bit. And the NCAA is trying to work on a plan in order to get football practice restarted as soon as they can. We'll give you the the thoughts on this. Nothing has been finalized, but they do have a plan. Also, the NAIA, they have a plan. They've announced that all of their fall sports will begin practice in mid-August. Also, they're kind of following suit of some of the lower levels of the NCAA and cutting games. So NAIA football this year down from 11 games tonight are they cutting on the front end of that of the schedule that, or have they said that no. i don't know yeah, but yeah. from 11 down to uh nine and each conference is a little different some conferences are closed where they just play conference games others they they do have a few non-conference also uh women's volleyball they'll have their schedules cut as will soccer hmm. a lot of difficult decisions to be made yeah i also wanted to mention this wind of a friend of mine she lives uh, just past the nebraska kansas border there south of alma she wondered if i could just throw a couple of runs up in the air today and then those would be delivered to her within about 15 minutes i think that's, uh, that's i think there's a pretty good chance of that <laughs> tell her we'll work on that for her <laughs> let's turn it over to bob brogan and uh, stocks down uh, well they're kind of mixed with the dow jones industrial average down a little bit Stocks are falling, but it's not because of the wind. It's, um, well, the rallies kind of hit the brakes or pump the brakes. Uh, the S&P down five-tenths of a percent this morning on pace for its largest loss in almost three weeks. Meanwhile, U.S. employers laid off some workers in April, a sign of how deep the economic hole is as offices, restaurants, stores, and schools reopen. IBM also says uh, it's getting out of the facial recognition business over some concerns about how it would be used. 
All right, that's all coming up on Midday. On the last Rural Radio Forum. The census is particularly important for rural folks. It determines the funding and the representation for our communities, and it helps us ensure that we're receiving our fair share of the federal resources that we have already paid back in for a whole host of things from schools to health care to housing to roads as well as rural development farm programs all of those things three primary modes online at my 2020census.gov or you can fill out the paper form that should have now arrived at most residences then you can also uh, complete the form by phone this is how we uh, determine our legislative districts we'll use that data to set the who's going to be our state senator or how that office will be elected for the next 10 years. It's important that everybody be counted as part of the census, and so we really want Nebraskans to continue to do the great work they've done already in filling out that census. Listen to the podcast at krvn.com. Time for us to take a look at our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. Paul Perkins in here with me. Boy, just a whole bunch of impactful Weather today, strong winds, severe thunderstorms, uh, eventually flooding, and uh, wind, 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 and with, oh, some snow, by yeah, the way. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah, and Laramie, Wyoming, eight inches of snow oh, on the ground. Uh, luckily, the travel conditions in some of the areas, uh, just some slushy conditions, but I-80 was closed for a time. It may be starting to reopen now. Uh, from uh, Cheyenne to Laramie, it was closed on eighty and in one of the, the middle of June. Jeez, and one of the things about that in Austin was in Austin Jacobson was telling me that's about the only way you can get from Cheyenne to Laramie, and yeah, exactly. So yeah. you're you're stuck in there, and what a why? Well, and that was those winds. I just saw a report of some damage up in. Uh, I think it was the Arthur County area or something yeah, like uh, that. Shed, just, uh, 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 yeah, shed was yeah. had its roof blowing off. Yeah, it just uh, popped off. But as, uh, in the North Platte area, wind gust up to seventy Ugh. miles per hour within the last hour here. Gee, and of course, uh, we had a report of a semi being blown yes. over by Maxwell. The interstate was closed for the time being here in Nebraska. Would not want to be driving a high-profile vehicle. No, today. exactly, especially with a heavy load. Mm-hmm. Right now, in advance of this front, we do have temperatures in the mid 80s in eastern Nebraska, up to 85 right now at Wahoo. Mainly low 80s across eastern Nebraska. That compares with temperatures right now in the mid to upper 40s in the Nebraska Panhandle, down to 45 in several locations in the southern Nebraska Panhandle currently. There's that 40 degree difference. Yes, exactly. About. But crazy. a very strong cold front making its way through the region. Maybe kicking up a little bit of light rain towards Grand Island and Hastings, but definitely some shower and thunderstorm activity in northeast Nebraska, north of Albion, right around Norfolk to Neely. Otherwise, a big area of rain. Light to moderate rain will be making its way to the east. The eastern extent of that rain right now from about Mullen to North Platte to just west of McCook down to Colby, Kansas. That's advancing towards the east. Numerous wind uh, total or wind um, high wind reports coming out of western or eastern Colorado with wind gusts there into right around 60 miles per hour. And once again, we do have that 70 mile an hour wind gust in the North Platte area and central Nebraska. Many locations already seeing wind gusts into the 40s and the 50s. Temperatures right now in most of central Nebraska, west central Nebraska, into northwest Kansas in the low to mid 50s. But once again, those temperatures in the 80s in advance of this front and temperatures in the 60s right around Grand Island, Hastings, and Aurora, and 59 in the Kearney area. And that compares with some upper 40s to low 50s in much of the Nebraska panhandle. 
Rain and thunderstorms are likely through tonight with this strong cold front advancing towards the east and also strong low pressure tracking from southern into eastern Kansas. Rainfall totals on the back of this area of low pressure expected to reach about 1 to 2 inches, so a good rain on the way for many of us. Higher amounts are possible in eastern areas where flooding will be a threat. Also, severe weather a problem into eastern Nebraska, especially if you're along in southeast of the line from Fremont to Columbus to about the Hastings area. Much of that area and a slight risk of severe storms, but we also have an enhanced risk of severe storms to the south of the interstate from about Lincoln and Hebron and points off towards the east. Strong northwest winds on the backside of this low will result in dropping temperatures into the 50s and 60s by the end of the day if they haven't already. Many of us already touching at 50. Strong northwest winds on the backside of this low, uh, keeping temperatures on the cool side. Winds will diminish to a breezy level for tomorrow. And as high pressure does build in, highs tomorrow slightly cooler than normal, but with some sunshine. A building ridge of high pressure late in the week through early next week will result in dry weather and a warming trend, so hopefully we do get some rains out of this. Temperatures will be seasonal for Thursday and Friday and about 10 degrees above average by the weekend and Monday. In our long-term forecast, above normal temperatures look very likely for Nebraska, Kansas, and the central U.S. Sunday through June 22nd as we look to see a ridge of high pressure set up from the Dakotas to Texas. Below normal rainfall is also likely for Sunday through the 22nd for Nebraska, Kansas, and the eastern two-thirds of the U.S. Weather factors affecting the market include additional heavy rain from Former tropical storm Cristobal in the Midwest and a hot and windy trend for the wheat harvest in the southern plains. The remnants of tropical storm Cristobal will continue to move north across the Midwest and reach Lake Superior by early tomorrow. A cold front tracking to the east generating widespread rain in the central plains today and across the Midwest and east through the midweek. Cool weather will replace previously warm weather in the Midwest. Heat will turn, return, though, by late week across portions of the nation's midsection. Cristobal's heavy rain in the western and northern Midwest, leading to some um, planning, uh, flooding. Drier areas, though, will have some beneficial moisture. The Midwest weather does turn drier and cooler the last half of this week with that front. After Cristobal's moderate to heavy rain in the eastern northern plains, heat returns again ahead of a, another storm system by this weekend. Additional moderate rain in the northern plains may continue through next week, and that will help out the emerging to developing crops. The southern plains will be hot and windy through at least tomorrow, a combination that favors their wheat ripening and harvest. All right, very good. Well, it, uh, it, it, it was kind of interesting yesterday to watch all of those storms last night build over Dawson County and just kind of move north, and there were, there were some pretty impressive stuff. Exactly, and a lot of uh, central Nebraska we had this morning with this front moving east, a lot of the thunderstorms formed just to the north of the interstate, and then they just kind of lifted to the northeast. Yeah. It did result in some heavy rains. Uh, North-central Nebraska with the heaviest amounts, 2.7 inches towards Bassett. I saw that. Yep. Very good. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it, Paul. Where do you go to check in on your weather? WeatherTap, krvn.com. Welcome. Creativity and teamwork are key to providing 4-H youth a fair experience in 2020. On the Rural Ready Network, I'm Bryce Duskett reporting. All across Nebraska, county fair boards and ag societies are working to determine what their fairs will look like in 2020. Chuck Hibber, Dean and Director of Nebraska Extension, says that Nebraska 4-H is committed to making sure youth have the opportunity to show their livestock and exhibit their projects this summer. Today, we'll hear how one of the earliest county fairs in the state is proceeding. 
Joining us is Jill Godekin, Platte County 4-H Youth Development Extension Educator. So ultimately in Platte County, we started with conversations and really wanting to make sure our families knew that um, we had them in, in mind and wanting them to know that um, to join us in um, a game of patience and, and waiting for guidelines to come and, and waiting for conversations to have so that we could hopefully come up with the best plan we possibly could. And through our, our patients, um, we were able to get the guidelines from the governor, um, and that really started to spark conversations, um, first of all, with our local health district, and we presented to, a plan to them a couple of weeks ago and in which we had a wonderful conversation and really great support from them in which we could take that plan to the fair committee um, with our Ag Society, and they were, of course, extremely supportive and uh, blessed our plan. And so then um, the last step is really our 4-H Council in which they also blessed our plan as well. And so ultimately all of these parties definitely have a, you know, a fond um, desire to really make sure that the county fair happens in, in the best way possible. And so with their support, we were able to happen, um, of course, modified plans and with some modifications of doing an in-person um, 4-H events at the county fair. Well, if you don't mind, share with us a little bit more about what that's going to look like. I know a lot of our listeners uh, have either students that are looking forward to exhibiting uh, their projects this summer and maybe even some County Ag Society uh, members that are, are curious on how a county like yourself is going to do this. Sure, absolutely. Uh, so, of course, um, when we are thinking about these plans and you know, we're thinking about static and livestock exhibitors alike, um, and we're really thinking about how can we keep our families safe, um, celebrate the, the work of our youth and, and what they've been working on and the new skills that they have gained, um, but really make sure that um, we are providing an experience that the county fair provides. And so we're doing our best to make sure that the basis of positive youth development is always at the forefront of what we're doing. And, and with that, um, of course, safety, right? And so at this point, um, our static folks are, are going to have an opportunity to drop off their exhibits and have them judged in a non-interview style um, at the fair. And we're working at the details of still being able to celebrate the work of those youth and especially um, our Grand and Reserve champions. So we plan to um, absolutely celebrate their work after the fair so that everyone can see their exhibits and what they learned and did over the year because we know the public is not able to come in and, and look at those exhibits. So we're working at the best plan we can um, to really make sure we celebrate the, the work of those youth specifically where the public will not be there to see it. And then from the, the livestock side, um, we are very, um, very pleased to have the opportunity to do um, a show and go or a progress style kind of a day where um, families come in and we're asking them if they have a lot of the fair preparations done at home so that when they get there, um, they are going to be checking or weighing in and then the show will start um, shortly thereafter. So there's definitely a lot of um, details that go into that plan and a lot of things that we're considering to make it work the best way possible. Platte County 4-H Youth Development Extension Educator Jill Godekin has been our guest, and I'm Bryce Tuskit reporting on the Rural Radio Network. Time for Midday Sports. Jason Jorgensen joining me here during midday. And boy, sounds like we're starting to see more of a plan being put in place for NCAA, whether it's football, whatever fall athletics are coming up, but uh, they're starting to kind of Get an idea of what they want to do. Some light at the end of the tunnel, and the uh, 
NCAA is considering a six-week plan for football teams to prepare for the start of the year. Now, this would include two weeks when teams can hold walkthroughs before full practices start. Now, this isn't done yet. The Oversight Committee has been working on this model for a month. It calls for two weeks preceding the start of a typical preseason practice schedule, during which time the teams get up to 20 hours per week of weight training, conditioning, film study meetings and walkthroughs with coaches. Players would not be permitted to wear helmets and pads during the walkthroughs, but a ball could be used for instruction. Now, the plan has not been finalized, but could be approved within two weeks. And I know this is obviously different times, but do you foresee something like this being put in place after this year? Potentially. I mean, what's the hurt? Right. Everybody's practicing in the summer anyway. Right. They always do these so-called seven-on-seven drills. Mm -hmm. I always always got a kick out of when I'd go to Big 12 media days and Big 10 days, and the coach would say, well, I, I haven't been there watching. Right. They know what's going on. It's all structured. <laughs> they know it's. They have it all planned out. Yeah. So, uh, but it doesn't. It doesn't sound like in this model that that people would get spring would get spring football back like Nebraska. They only got two practices in. So that's that's probably not going to happen. Sure. But if they could get this opened up and have twenty nine days before the start of the uh, first game, that'd be a good deal. Also, schools at the NAIA level they're making plans for later on this summer. They've come up with a start date of the middle of August, on August 15th, to begin fall workouts, just like the NCAA at lower levels. They're going to be reducing things, so they'll see the football schedule go from 11 games down to 9. Men's and women's soccer, that will be reduced to 14, and women's volleyball will be cut down from 28 to 22. Still a good amount of a number of games, so not surprised there. The NEI is doing that. We heard from the GPAC. They're going to replicate that model, so something, uh, I guess it's not... Uh, uh, surprising. No, and it's better than nothing. And Correct. it's better than what it looked like a month ago. And the North Platte Community College men's basketball team, they've announced four new recruits. Two of them are from our region. One of them is 5'9 point guard Steven Garcia. Of course, uh, he had quite the run there at North Platte. He set the school record for 59 three-pointers in one year. Average about 13 points per game. And then Tyler Danberg, a 6'4 wing out of Axtell. He had a wonderful senior season helping the Wildcats to a great year as he averaged 15 points and 9 rebounds per game. And one of the top point guards in the state has picked out her college destination. Hastings St. Cecilia's Bailey Kissinger, who just completed her sophomore season, announced on social media that she is going to be a UNK Loper, she will be part of their 2022 class. Is there any relation to the Kissingers yes. in Minden? Yep. Okay. I believe she is their cousin. A cousin. And okay. I know the Lopers have been excited in recruiting her <laughs> for a while. She'd also visited South Dakota and had danced a little bit with Creighton. So uh, that's that's fine pickup for the Lopers. Well, she's like her cousins. Yes. The, the, the future might be bright for her as well. And good for you and Kat. You bet. You can read more about these stories and much more at krvn.com. All right. Thank you very much, Jason. This is Greg Sharp coming up tonight on Sports Honey. We'll have another edition of the Big Ten Blitz and our Top Ten Tuesday. All that and more tonight here on Sports Nightly. Tune in to Sports Nightly on the Rural Voice of Nebraska, 880 KRVN. On Monday, June 8th at about 11 a.m., the 911 Center in North Platte received a call of a body floating in the Nebraska Public Power District Canal between Hershey and North Platte. Sheriff's deputies, North Platte Fire and Rescue, and the Lincoln County Dive Team were sent west of Wagon Trail Road along the canal system. 
A rescue worker did recover the body that the Lincoln County Sheriff's Office has identified as 68-year-old Nicholas Legas of Rural North Platte. Legas' body had floated to the bank of the canal and was removed from the scene. A vehicle belonging to the subject was located near Dickens Road along the canal several miles upstream. The call to the 911 center had been placed by the employer of Legas as he had not shown up for work. An autopsy will be performed on June 11th. This is an ongoing death investigation. The Nebraska Revenue Department's property tax administrator says her office is working to understand why some agricultural landowners may have seen a wide swing in proposed 2020 valuations. Ruth Sorensen says a change in land capability grouping based on specified applied use instead of a dry land basis as directed under LB 372 should not have, on its own, led to a change in the valuation for ag land. In describing the change, she cited the example of grazing land. So just because I was, we call it 4G, for four grass is the lowest, and I go to 1G, which is grass, the value should not have changed because my dirt is still the same. And so what we've been educating the assessors on is make that 1G, make a subclass in 1G of the value that was on your 4G. Sorensen says her office is now checking with all 93 county assessors to find out if ag land valuation changes were due to the way the new law was implemented, market pricing changes, or a combination of contributing factors. Two children in Nebraska have been diagnosed with a rare and serious inflammatory condition that's linked to the new coronavirus. Last week, a nine-year-old Lexington boy was diagnosed with the condition, and on Monday, the Douglas County Health Department announced that a child under 12 has been hospitalized with the same condition. This news comes as the one-day total of new coronavirus cases dropped to under 100 for the first time since May 10th. And you may have noticed your gas pump total being higher than ever recently. EIA's Amarine Woodyard has more. The U.S. average retail price for regular gasoline rose to $2.04 a gallon on Monday. That's up 6.2 cents from a week ago based on the weekly price survey by the U.S. Energy Information Administration. This marks the third straight week of a price increase in retail gas. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Austin Jacobson. We're continuing our series of Cruising with Biofuels. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Brian Jennings is Chief Executive Officer for the American Coalition for Ethanol. They're based in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, as we talked about the boom and the positives we've seen from this ethanol industry. Well, there's no doubt about it. And while... You know, the months of March and April, the ethanol industry probably suffered the the greatest, the worst body blow um, in our history. There is a recovery, and we know that ethanol has been indeed very good for, for corn farmers, for creating demand for that crop, um, for returning value to those farmers if they own part of a plant, for... Uh, expanding the tax base in so many communities across rural America that depend upon um, ethanol producers, among among other industries, to to sustain jobs in those areas. And and you said it well when it comes to the broader benefits of the environment. You know, ethanol is 
a clear winner when it comes to reducing pollution from the tailpipe compared to straight gasoline. All of the real-world evidence measuring um, pollution from the tailpipe with ethanol-blended fuel versus fuel that's straight petroleum indicates that ethanol cuts or reduces those most harmful uh, pollutants. And so um, there are a number of reasons to continue to support, advance, and promote the, uh, the ethanol industry. And that's really what we're trying to do is we um, slowly but surely recover from, you know, the economic hit that we took earlier this year from, from the oil price crash, of course, and the pandemic. And you see ethanol plants, Susan, are starting back up. Uh, bringing their workers back in, buying corn from farmers, uh, importantly, and we want to, you know, it's too early to declare victory, and and this is going to be a slow recovery, but but we're moving in the right direction here during the month of June. It, it's amazing how this industry, when you look at where it first started and where it is today, uh, has come leaps and bounds, but still has to deal with a lot of misinformation out there. Misinformation every day, but the, the story of how this industry evolved is remarkable. I mean, 10, 15 years ago, it was a handful of plants. Some, some in Nebraska were the very first. Uh, certainly the Hastings uh, plant was one of the first. ADM was the big producer. Today, producing maybe 2 billion gallons. Today, we can, we can produce 17 billion gallons. Um, the vast uh, majority of the, the ownership structure of the industry is farmer-owned or independent plants, um, returning a lot of value to rural America. So that's that's just a remarkable story in and of itself. And, and it always amazes me, Brian, with it, as much good as this industry has brought to rural America, there's still a lot of misunderstandings about the full benefits of ethanol and, and when you show up at a pump, what you can and cannot use in, in your vehicles. There really is. There's there's uh, misunderstandings just by ordinary everyday people about which blend of ethanol they can use in their tank, and we're we're working with EPA to try to streamline the labeling procedures at these uh, gas stations to to make sure we very clearly um, and simply inform uh, consumers about what they can and cannot use in their vehicles. But the misinformation doesn't stop there. It, it it also has a nefarious sort of tone to it because we're constantly doing battle, of course, with oil companies who don't want to lose market share to renewable fuels like ethanol. And so this year, for example, the oil sector has convinced a number of governors from largely fossil fuel producing states to lobby the, the White House and the Environmental Protection Agency to reduce or waive the volume required for renewable fuels under the renewable fuel standard this year. It seems like we're constantly doing battle with the refiners. Um, at the same time, we're trying to educate you know, everyday citizens about the, the clean air benefits of ethanol, the fact that E15 can save money compared to E10 and straight gasoline, what, what vehicles can use E85 and what vehicles cannot. Um, and so um, our work continues, and that's why we're so proud that the governor of Nebraska has declared June Renewable Fuels Month, and, and certainly Governor Ricketts has been a champion for ethanol and biodiesel. Uh, talk a little bit about the work that's been going on with the governor and E30. So the state of Nebraska has done something that no other state 
has thought of doing and it's really groundbreaking research. The governor of Nebraska worked with the Nebraska Ethanol Board and others to get the Environmental Protection Agency to provide the state a waiver of the Clean Air Act to demonstrate the use of E30 in vehicles that are not designed to use the fuel. And so upwards of 50 or 60 state vehicles have been driving on E30 for approximately a year. And all of the information, all of the data from these engines and these vehicles has been logged by the state of Nebraska. And they will be providing that evidence to EPA. My conversation with Brian Jennings, the American Coalition for Ethanol. I'm Susan Littlefield on the World Radio Network. Time for the Midday Business Report. Bob Brogan is joining us. And, well, Bob, stocks kind of uh, were down a little bit earlier today. It seems like they're rallying a little bit, at least. Yeah, stocks are uh, right now, for the most part, down. They have been falling as the week-long rally hit the brakes. The S&P 500 was down nine-tenths of a percent in midday trading on pace for its largest loss in almost three weeks. Yesterday, it had turned positive for the year for the first time since February. Skeptics have been saying for weeks that the rally, which reached 44.5% between late March and Monday, may have been overdone. U.S. employers laid off 7.7 million workers in April, a sign of how deep the economic hole is as offices, restaurants, stores, and schools are reopening after being shuttered because of the coronavirus. The Labor Department also said in a Tuesday report, today's report, the job openings plummeted and hiring all but disappeared in April. The number of available jobs fell 16% from March to 5 million, and hires declined 31% uh, 31 to 3.5 million. Japanese carmaker Honda says it's been hit by a cyber attack. The company says in a statement that there was no breach of its data but it's working to minimize the impact and to restore full functionality of production sales and development activities. It says that at the moment, the impact on its business business should be minimal. IBM says it's getting out of the facial recognition business over concern about how it can be used for mass surveillance and racial profiling. In a letter to U.S. lawmakers Monday from new IBM CEO Arvind Krishna, he said the tech giant has sunset its general-purpose facial recognition and analysis software products. That's a check of the business news for the day. I'm Bob Brogan. Thank you very much, Bob. During the month of June, we're going to go cruising with biofuels. Hi, this is Susan Littlefield. Along with Alex Wachowski, we're going to be bringing you updates and information on the biofuels industry. Tuesdays at 1245, I'll be talking ethanol. Wednesdays at 1245, Alex is talking biodiesel. All this is brought by the Nebraska Soybean Board and the Nebraska Corn Board. So make sure to tune in during the month of June for Cruising with Biofuels on the Rural Radio Network. Alex Wachowski reporting on the World Radio Network, and I'm joined on the phone by Teresa Lombard. She is the coordinator of the Hunters Helping the Hungry program. Teresa, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me, Alex. I really appreciate it. Yeah, well, Teresa, tell us a little bit about this Hunters Helping the Hungry program. Sure. 
So the program is one that was established in 2012. And in a nutshell, it accepts cash donations to fund the program. And then with those dollars, we pay lockers to process deer. The deer are donated by hunters in Nebraska. And then charitable organizations pick up that packaged ground meat and distribute it to Nebraskans who need food assistance. And you mentioned this started in 2012. Give us an idea of kind of the impact it's had on local Nebraskans since this program got started. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. We actually have had more than 180,000 pounds of meat distributed during that period of time. So at a quarter pound per serving, that is equivalent to more than 728,000 meals. So, you know, many hunters donate both deer and cash to help that program operate, and some hunters donate more than one deer. Um, As you can imagine, this really helps a lot of people in the communities where, um, you know, it's difficult to find inexpensive protein. Anyone can support that program with a cash donation. You don't have to be a hunter to help. I think that's one of the things that isn't necessarily all that clear to people. It is the Hunters Helping the Hungry program, but anyone can participate. For hunters, Teresa, who are out there listening, who want to take part in this program and donate deer, uh, of course it's important for them to maybe make a monetary donation, but what are some other things that they need to know uh, if they want to donate a deer to the program? Right. Um, I think the most important thing they need to realize is just that it does have to be donated at a participating locker, and there is going to be a limit to the number of deer each locker can accept. So, you know, hunters just want to have another plan for that deer before they go out hunting. It's not a bad idea to contact the processor that they use, see if they're participating in the program or not. And if they're not, you know, they can certainly contact us, go to that web page, outdoornebraska.gov backslash HHH to see who the participating processors are. And, um, you know, we're happy to also answer questions from hunters at any time during the year. And Teresa, things are constantly changing, but as of right now, interested processors can apply before July 1st. Is that still correct? That's correct, and um, we are hoping that we will have contracts with them in August, but it's possible we might put that off just a little bit later as things continue. We don't really know at this point how many processors are going to apply, and of course, we really need them. We can't do anything without processors, so we'll just kind of see how that goes. If we need to give them a little bit more time, we will. All right, Teresa, thanks so much for the information. Thank you, Alex. I really appreciate your help getting the word out. That again is Teresa Lombard. She is the coordinator of the Hunters Helping the Hungry program. Again, processors can apply to be a part of this program before July 1st. And you can also send in your donation. And you can do all of that by going to OutdoorNebraska.gov slash HHH. Broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board News Desk, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Playtime on the World Radio Network. Talking now with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter this week in Grain. John, uh, fairly red here across the screen, but kind of be expected with the latest crop progress report showing we have a really strong crop and we're liable to see rising balance sheets on Thursday. Yeah, I mean, 
I think the next three weeks are going to be bearish. You know, buckle up. I, I would imagine prices are going to pressure like they did probably somewhat close to where we went in the September or the uh, the May delivery, which is 303, I think, was the bottom there. Um, I think July makes run sub 310 at some point just based off the fact that uh, there's so much corn that has to clear here and find a home. But beyond that, I think it's tough to be too bearish on a market like beans given that the weather can change. And then the Q3 here, the, the third quarter of, of, of the GDP, Moonshin is right, the Treasury Secretary, this next quarter could be the most growth we see ever as a country. I don't say ever, but for my, I'm 39 years old, I don't think we're, we're going to see a quarter with growth like this. So it's going to be amazing to, to watch if we can really get things reopened. So like I said, don't get too bearish in the next three weeks or week. I think get ready to buy some corn come first of the month. Going forward, what do you expect to see? Last year we saw that acreage shift in the June WASD report. That's not likely to happen here, but could we see these export expectations and some of those numbers decline? That's the worry. You know, I, it's it's going to come from demand. So this is, this works like any balance sheet or any budget. When you save money, it rolls into the next marketing year, and uh, that's the, the case here. So if they find that demand is down 200 million bushels, and that raises the old crop carry to 2.4, which raises the new crop carry to 3.5, 3.6. And that's really where, you know, I mean, you're talking about big, massive numbers. And, and so where are we going to put it all? That's the big question. It's It's how cheap can you sell it? You know, how cheap can you buy corn and put it away and hold it? And if you have bin storage, this is going to be a huge boom uh, in, in a way to, to, to make some money on just storing it because the carries are going to widen out here, and I expect, uh, you know, some good opportunity. And there's some demand there. Um, but, again, uh, ethanol has to come back. That ethanol bid has to get back, and, um, you know, we need to see a weather problem somewhere. And, and none of that is, is really in the cards at this point. Again, we're talking with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter this week in Grain. Learn more at their website, danielzagmarketing.com. Again, danielzagmarketing.com. Do remember, though, trading futures and options involves risk of loss and may not be suitable for all investors. Do consider these risks before investing. Going through last week, we saw unknown and destinations in China step in and start buying uh, U.S. soybeans on Tuesday. So far this week, though, USDA too not, has not announced any flash sales yet. We'll see if maybe those bids are just a little bit smaller in the flash sales threshold on Thursday with export sales. Just head to the WASDI report. Thank you very much, Clay. That will take care of today's midday program here on KRVM. Now, if you missed any of the segments or want to hear any of our interviews, you can listen to the Midday Podcast, available at krvn.com or on iTunes. Our Midday Podcast is sponsored by Deveni Motors. Howdy, folks. This is Rick from Deveni Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, and McCook. When you're ready to buy a new vehicle, expect that our hardworking, experienced staff will treat you just like family. Go to DaviniChryslerJeepDodge.com today. And remember, it's not a deal until it's a Divini deal.